What a great day to gather. Amen. What a great day to gather in the house of the Lord. Hey, a couple of quick things before I introduce our speaker. This is the final day. So if you've got a teenager, know of a teenager, have seen a teenager, this is the final day to sign up for for youth camp. I want to encourage you to do that. So um, this is what I was thinking. Can you imagine growing up without Christmas? Like, can you imagine, I'm, I'm like, you didn't have to have it, but like a lot of your memories, right, a lot of those family traditions that formed your identity are formed around those big moments. Now, every day can't be Christmas. I know some of you are listening to Christmas music already in, in the month of June, but uh, listen, that's kind of what youth camp is. It's like a spiritual Christmas. And those are identity-forming moments in the lives of our children, in the lives of our grandchildren. So whatever you got to do to pay them, bribe them, get them there, God is going to show up. Amen? God is going to show up and do something great. So on the screen uh, behind me is a way to, to sign up and get that in today. Well, I first met our speaker today about 15 years ago. And one of the things that we had in common that was that we were both former youth pastors of Pastor Rick Ross. Yes. And we quickly formed a support group. <laughs> I mean, we quickly <laughs> formed a friendship over that. We love you, Pastor Rick. We know that you are a spiritual father in many ways to, to both of us. But I'm telling you, over the next 15 years, uh, Jeffrey and Joanne, you guys have become dear friends to Camden and I. I told a group the other day this, if, if, and I mean this, if Jeffrey's leading it, I want to be a part. He is a modern-day general in the kingdom of the Lord. He's been a church planter in Seattle. They planted, five, they planted a church, and then out of that church planted five locations in five years. Come on, how many of you know that God is in that? And now he is currently the national director for CMN. That's our church multiplication network, of which we are a part of is Multiply Church and the Assemblies of God. And last year during a pandemic, they planted over 200 churches for the glory of God. Come on, somebody celebrate that. And would you put your hands together? Welcome, Multiply family, Pastor Jeffrey Portman, as he comes to preach the word. Love you, bro. Thank you. Well, what's happening, Multiply Church? Come on. Listen, I don't even need to speak. I'm going to, but I don't even need to speak because we've already had such a powerful time in God's house. Don't you love it when we fix our attention onto Jesus and off of ourselves? And that's one of the things, just one of the things worship does. It sets some things in motion in our spirit. Amen. I'm so grateful for moments like that we just had. And and a pastor that will kneel on the platform and just say, let's surrender. Doug, we honor you in Camden. We love your team. You know, Pastor Doug is a voice not just to this region, but to our nation. We we get to uh, be a part of some extended things outside of the local church and Deeply respected and loved, and I'm grateful for you. Thanks for what you're doing to to be a general in the kingdom. Can you just honor your pastor for a moment? Love you, brother. Well, my best friend came with me this weekend, and that's Joanne. And uh, we've been married now legally, uh, just kidding, Um, 28 years next week. 28 years. And so 27 of those have been happy. That's a really good ratio. Can I get a witness? So uh, we, we have um, two sons, Justice and Josiah, and they live what we call now back home outside of Seattle where we planted New Hope Church. 
And uh, man, if I talk about our boys, I cry. So I'm going to jump right into the talk. We're in a series called Greater Things. How many know Jesus said, you'll do greater things? And when Jesus says, you're like, really? Because what he did was pretty good. But what he's saying is, what, what I have for you in the kingdom of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is even greater. And you're going to be a walking evidence. You're a walking billboard of my supernatural presence and power in your life. Now, y'all are wondering about this. I'll answer it later. Okay. Now, we're, we're in the series, Greater Things. So I was thinking about what are greater things. And so I like unlimited fries at, at Red Robin. That's a greater thing. What about how many of you try not to get full at a Mexican restaurant eating the chips before the meal gets there? Okay. So one other thing I was thinking about was unlimited, right? Greater unlimited. And so if I was to title the talk, I would, I would title this Unlimited Mercy, because that's what we're extended in Christ, unlimited mercy. Now, Jesus, the best teacher on the planet, would tell stories, right, parables, an uh, earthly story, and whether it was true or false, and he would connect it to a heavenly truth or heavenly meaning. And I'm going to jump into one in a second, but I was thinking about mercy. And, And I was thinking, like, the first time I heard the word mercy, where I can remember it, was elementary school. And what we would do is we'd, everyone would grab, grab a buddy and we would interlock hands and we would try to bend the, anyone remember this? You would try to bend the other person's fingers over. And the only thing that would create a, a, a ceasefire in this battle was for the person who was losing to say, mercy. And so what was happening was the person who was winning, that they gave to the person who was losing what they couldn't give to themselves. And I love Jesus' teaching. He says this in the greatest message, I believe, ever, the Sermon on the Mount. He says, uh, it's a prayer. Let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Let your kingdom come and your will be done. You know what heaven's like right now? Perfect. Sinless. Free. No pain. No suffering. No sorrow. No sadness. There's no division. There's unity. It's perfect. And he's saying, I want what's happening here to happen here. Now, we get glimpses of it. We have moments where we're in alignment and, and, and just in, on track with, with Jesus. So he's teaching on, on the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 1, finishing chapter 7, verse 29. And then this prayer that he invites us into is not because he has nothing else to do, but because God invites us into greater things. And one of those is to be a, a receiver of and a giver of mercy. So the Sermon on the Mount begins with, in chapter 5, the Beatitudes. And basically, these are like how to live for God in a country that doesn't. What does it mean to be all in as a follower of Jesus? And these principles are reap what you sow. You heard Pastor earlier talk about generosity, right? These are reap what you sow type principles. And one of them, in Matthew 5, verse 7, says this. Blessed are the merciful... And sometimes we think mercy is weakness. It's not. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Let's hit some definitions. We'll talk mercy in a second, but what is grace? And these are like two hands that clap and make praise to God. Grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. God giving us what we don't deserve. Mercy is God not giving us what we deserve. And we need both. So he says, listen, those blessed are the merciful, more than abundant, beyond favored, those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Now, we get a front row seat of this 13 chapters later, a picture of mercy set in motion with a story that Jesus uh, began to tell. And Peter, the apostle Peter, the follower of Jesus, by the way, you never have to wonder what Peter's thinking because he always says it. 
Any of you have a friend like that or they're by you and you want to point at them? Okay. So Peter asks and answers his own question. Don't you love that? He says, um, then Peter came and he asked, Lord, how often, this is Matthew 18, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? It seems like a great question. And before Jesus, the creator of the world, the redeemer of humanity could even answer, Peter's like, seven times? And you know how when you know the answer, and so you want to kind of make yourself feel smart, so you kind of set it up, like, you know, how many times should I forgive someone? And he's like, seven? Because in his mind, he's like, three seems like a lot, because if someone did you wrong, the third time you're like, okay, I'll give you four. At four, I'm going to double three and add one, seven. Now he's thinking, probably, right, that Jesus is like, oh, my word, that is so good, Peter. Everyone, come here. Did you hear what Peter said? Y'all need to be a lot more like Peter. Come on online, you feel me? That's not what Jesus said. In fact, the next response when Jesus finally got to, to chime in was he so no, said no, not, not seven times, but 70 times seven. That was a lot different than seven. Now, so you don't have to pull your phones out. I did the math 490 times, okay? <laughs> For the, 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 you don't have to take your shoes off. You're like, okay, that would be me, by the way. So Jesus is not saying at 488, you're like, you have two more. That is not what he's saying. What he's saying is you don't actually, you can't count how many times you should show mercy. What is our culture right now? What is your neighborhood? What is maybe even your family need? They need to see mercy in us. You want to experience greater things? You give greater things. And mercy is one of those. Now, we see a story begin to unfold, and it's that parable I mentioned before, earthly story connected to a heavenly meaning. And Jesus begins to tell a story of a king who was wealthy and had all of these resources, and he had loaned money to people. And now the money is due, okay? So it's not like he's mad. It's just like, hey, it's time for the bills to be paid, okay? So he began to call in the debts. And we see this. In the process, fast forward now, or we went to verse 24. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars, could you imagine owing some, someone millions of dollars? You borrowed that much, okay? And he couldn't pay it. So his master ordered that he would be sold, but not just him, him, his wife, his family, until all of his debt was paid. But here's what would happen. This would actually set in motion in this culture, in this time period. He would become an indentured servant. He would perpetually be in debt to this master. And what did he feel in that moment? Desperate. So he did what many of us would have done. He fell down, it says, before the, his master. And Jesus is telling the story to this people listening. And he began to beg him, please be patient with me. What he's saying, I just need more time. Can, I get, can you extend the payments 48 more months? Is there any way we could just talk through a different plan? Because the, the strategy, the plan you laid out is my family indebted to you. And my life is over, essentially. He says, I'll pay it. And then his master, I love this story. His master was filled with mercy. Listen, the guy who could have said, listen, you owe me. We had an agreement. You signed a contract. He's full of mercy. And he released him. He didn't just release him. He forgave his debt. And I want you to hear this. Multiply, listen. The king did for the guy what he couldn't do for himself. When you're in the position of power, what do you do for the person who's not in power? When you're right in the conversation and they're wrong, now before they were right and you were wrong and you were hoping you'd get from them what you're 
maybe going to get to them? See, he's, he's holding the hammer in the conversation. And because the man fell down, he doesn't only release him, but he, he forgives his debt. He wipes his slate clean. Let me ask this question. How do you feel when you've been busted? Like you're caught, hands in the cookie jar. You know you're, I mean, you're wrong, you're wrong. You didn't, maybe you planned to, you ended up being wrong. Maybe you planned to and then got caught. You're like, ah, and you're busted. I was speaking at a school assembly, this is years ago, uh, when we lived in Washington State. And finished the assembly, feeling just like, you know, high in the moment. I don't mean like legal in Washington. I'm talking about like, just God use me, you know what I'm saying? And so I was driving down I-5 and I'm like, man, this, oh God, this is so good. And I'm in the four lane, I'm in the third lane to the left and I see blue lights behind me and I'm a conscientious driver. I slide over to let the officer go past, right? And when I slide over, blinker on, he does too. I'm like, oh, he's going to take the exit. So I slide over one more. And as it turns out, he's pulling me over. I did immediately what you would have done. I tapped my brakes, and I looked at my speedometer and thought, am I speeding? You with me? You see the light? You're like, oh. So I pull over, and he comes, to, I mean, no, window's down. He comes up, and he says, uh, and before he could actually say anything, I said, hey, officer, what was it that you pulled me over for? And he said, your tabs are expired. I'm like, ah, come on, Joanne. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm totally kidding. <laughs> Just kidding, okay? It's my job. I get it, right? But I'm like, how long have they been expired? I'm thinking. He's like, uh, four months. So I actually had several. That's a lot of days if you do the math on that, right? Where I'm driving illegally, right? And so he's like, license and registration, please. And, and I go, I get my registration, which of course is expired. And, and then I reach for my wallet. And as it turns out, this, my cell phone feels a whole lot like my wallet. So I'm like, um... I don't have my license. And he's like, <sighs> he goes back to his car, okay? I'm busted, right? So now I'm driving illegally four months. This isn't two days. This isn't two weeks where like, I get it. I've, four months. That's almost half a year, okay? I don't know. I'm driving without a license. Now, it wasn't suspended or, or you know, expired, but I didn't have it. So he goes back to his car, and it felt like he was there for a long time. So like, he's calling it back up. Like the SWAT team, people are assembling, they're putting on their tactical gear. There's probably, I'm listening for helicopters, they're going to film it all, right? He comes back and he hands me my expired registration and he says, okay, two things. Um, You need to bring your license next time and you need to get your tabs filled as soon as possible. I was stunned because I was doing the math in my head. I was a poor youth pastor in this season of life. And I'm like, sweetheart, I've got good news and bad news. The good news is we can still live here. The bad news is I have a ticket to pay. We're not going to be able to eat for a month, right? I'm wrestling through all of these I blew it moments. And what did he extend to me? Mercy. He did for me what I couldn't have done for myself. He, he, mercy is him not giving me what I deserved. And in that moment, I drove away feeling so grateful. I honestly was like, oh, I, I didn't feel like, oh, I got out of it. I felt like, man, I'm so grateful that he extended to me what I couldn't have extended to myself. So let me ask this question. How do you feel when you've received mercy? You didn't deserve it. You were busted. You were in the wrong. But instead of someone dropping the hammer, they actually extend grace and mercy. Isn't it true we feel lighter? We feel freer? Our life actually has these rays and glimmers of hope. 
So back to our story. Remember, the guy had been released of the debt and forgiven of the debt. So now he's not only going, not going to, to, to indentured servitude. He's not going to be in prison with his family. He's free. And so how does he respond? But when the man left the king, he went to the fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. Now, he'd been forgiven an ocean's worth of obligation. And this guy owes him a few thousand dollars. And he finds him, and he grabbed him by the throat, and he demanded instant payment. Let's just agree he's a jerk. And his fellow servant fell down before him. I feel like it's just like, he, he's like, I just saw this play out, but I was the one begging. I was the one pleading. I was the one hoping for an extension of time. But when his fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time, be patient with me, he says, and I'll pay it as he pleaded with him. But his creditor wouldn't wait. And he had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt he, could, he owed could be paid in full. What? Did, did he forget what had happened just moments or maybe it was a day before? Had he, had he lost his memory of the ocean full of obligation? The guy says, I, I release you, and I actually, I forgive your debts. Now, before we all start to have a Shrek moment and get our pitchfork and some torches and go burn this cat's cottage to the ground, we should probably pause and look at our own life. And see, that's what Jesus wants us to do with parables. He wants us to apply them to our lives. It's interesting that part of the de- definition of love as it's articulated, Paul's writing to the church in Corinth. Listen to how it's described. Love's patient and kind. It's not jealous or boastful or, or proud. It's not rude. It doesn't demand its own way. It's not irritable. And it keeps no record of wrongs. So maybe another way of seeing it is this, that giving and receiving mercy is a prerequisite for experiencing love. So you're saying, I want to have greater things, and that's love. I want love in my life. So one, one of the ways you actually experience, and it's a prerequisite for love to be what marks your life, is that you're a person who, who gives and receives mercy. Someone told the king what had happened. And then the king called in the man who he had forgiven and said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant? And of course the answer is obviously. Shouldn't you have had mercy? Shouldn't you have had mercy? Just as I had mercy on you. Then the angry king, remember moments before he was a merciful king. And now he's an angry king and he sent the man to to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. Now we read that and we're like, I'm so glad that's not me. And then Jesus adds like a little PS or a little addendum to the story. He adds like a, a one more thing. And here's what he says. That's what my heavenly father will do for you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. I'm glad you're seated because that's big. Because isn't it true? We like, we like to say, well, I'm, oh, I'm so forgiving on little stuff. But if it's big, and Jesus is saying mercy and grace are what you've received. Now, here, here's why this is up here. Because every one of us has a tendency to be a container of mercy instead of a conduit of mercy. 
We are a container of grace and God pours grace into us and we're like, oh, I'm so sorry, God, I was gonna make it right and I, man, I feel like I'm back in the same place. Please forgive me. And God's like, I extend grace, I extend mercy. His kindness leads us to repentance. We know he'll, he'll, he'll forgive us because that's his pattern and we receive and we receive and all of a sudden our lives begin to fill up with the grace and the mercy, the goodness of God because that's who he is. But guess what? We're not supposed to be containers. We're supposed to be conduits. That the grace of God, the mercy of God, the kindness of God, the generosity of God doesn't stop with us. And you already know this, that anything that doesn't flow out becomes stagnant, right? But anything that flows, that has life and movement, brings multiplication. It brings health. So here's the question. In this story... Who are you? Now, Jesus doesn't require us in this story to answer the question, but anytime he's teaching, he's looking actually for application. He's saying, I want your life to have a ripple effect because of what you've heard, right? I want your life to be transformed. Here's the great news for all of us. We're not stuck in who we used to be. We're not trapped. Maybe you say, man, I'm so generous, but I have a hard time forgiving now, we might think generosity is just finances or time, but isn't it, isn't it also extending mercy, extending grace? Like, what does the church think when someone comes in and their lives are so broken? We're like, oh, let me just embrace you. We want to create a safe place for people to, to find and experience grace in God, but then we get home. You're like, we're not at church anymore. You're like, that's the fourth time you've done that. This is where it gets practical, right? This is, it preaches so good. But when it's someone close to us, when it's that coworker that, oh, I just, I, oh, God, I'm so sick of their attitude. And we're containers of grace because we've received it. And I'm just holding on to it. I'm like, oh, oh, I'm so grateful for your grace, God. Oh, you want me to give them mercy? Do you know what they did? God's like, listen, it's not supposed to get stuck or stop with you. You're supposed to be asking, how can I be someone who shares with others what I've experienced? How is my life like this conduit that the goodness of God, the grace, just the love of God flows through me? Now, I understand in a room this big, those watching online, some of you are saying, I want to live that way. But if you knew my story, if you knew what happened, if you knew the pattern of that broken relationship, And you'd put yourself in what I would call the I'm not there yet camp. I'm not quite, I want to forgive. I want to extend grace. I want to be merciful. I I, I want to be like God. But there's that one thing I just can't seem to let go of. So here's what I want you to do. If If you're in the I'm not yet there category to extend mercy to someone, let's just pause that whole thought for a second. Just freeze that scenario. I'm gonna invite you to pivot to put your mind on something else. And that is how gracious and merciful God has been to you. Don't think about that. that, that that's heavy. That can be overwhelming even. So let's just, let's just focus on what God has done to us in Christ. But the love of God extended to us in Christ Jesus. And here's what I begin to discover, that, that when I focus my attention on what I have received, that I have been a conduit of God's grace through Christ and his mercy through the cross and the empty tomb, I, I actually don't want to be this anymore. And it makes it not easy, but easier 
to be someone who's a mercy giver. And Jesus says, listen, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive. They'll have an abundance of mercy. Now, I think it's important to, to put this principle into play. There's a difference between trust and forgiveness. And and Jesus says, forgiveness isn't a choice because of what I've done on the cross for you. So if you want to be forgiven, you have to forgive. But I understand, and and we've got to set some parameters in relationships where I'm choosing to forgive. I'm not holding anything, but I'm not allowing them to have access to my heart or maybe even my calendar like they used to. I'm going to set some parameters in my life. There's unhealthy people, broken people, hurt people, right? And that's all of us. But we've got to understand Forgiveness and trust are not the same thing. Now, I want us to actually put some legs to this, right? So what, what does extending mercy do? What does it set in motion in our lives? A few things, and the first one is this. Peace with God. Peace with others. And peace with ourselves. I think often or many times the biggest issues we have with others are because of unresolved issues with God. Say, God, I'm just not ready to surrender that. And so no wonder there's a ripple effect. I'm not experiencing the conduit expression of love and grace and mercy in other relationships because I've refused to receive that from God. Not extending mercy. This is, this is so big, multiply church. Not extending mercy blocks peace from your heart and your mind. But when we set mercy in motion, what happens is this. We actually experience peace. And here's what God says through inspiring the writers of Scripture. God will give you peace that the world doesn't understand. So that coworker that's like, yeah, you should be mad. You should hold an offense. I can't believe. And they're like carrying that offense with you. They may not understand when you say, I chose to forgive him. I extended mercy. God gives peace that the world doesn't understand. And that peace, the Scripture says, will guard our hearts inwardly and our mind in Christ Jesus. And do we want that, or do we want to carry the offense and the hurt? Here's the second thing that extending mercy sets in motion in our lives, in our church. <laughs> we just become a lot more fun to be around. <laughs> like, it doesn't get more practical than that. And I'm just, I'm glad you're seated, but the reality is, if people have to walk around on eggshells whenever they're around us, they're not getting the glimpses of the goodness of, of God. They're not getting a picture of grace and mercy. They're like, ah, oh, yeah, I, I can't, I got to be really careful what I say around them because, man, they had this memory. And they, you mean like in fourth grade when you said that, you're like, that's fine, but we're 44. <laughs> Maybe this is a good moment for a non-scientific poll. How many of you have a good memory? Come on, let me see your hand online. Put an emoji. Okay. How many of you have a bad memory? Let me see your hand. How many of you don't remember the question? Okay, right? So like, I don't even know what you're talking about, right? Here's my observation. We have a tendency to let go of stuff we should hold on to, and we hold on to stuff we should let go of. And God's saying, I, I want you to be mercy conduits. I want you to give to others what I've given to you. Your debt was paid. You've been released. And it's good news. And people need good news. And what that is is gospel. They need the good news that God meets us in our brokenness. That God goes beyond the, the obvious and he deals with the eternal in our lives. Thank you, God, for your grace and your mercy extended to us. Extending mercy sets some things in motion in our lives. 
in your workplace, in your relationships, in your family, and in your own heart. And here's the, the third, and I know there's many, but just for today, here's the third. We begin to reflect Christ's character. So y'all go to church, but you know what you're invited to do? Be the church. We're, 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 we're invited by God to carry with us grace and mercy so that when I walk into the grocery store, I walk down the road in my neighborhood, and when I walk into my house, I actually carry Christ's character with me. I begin to look more like him and less like the old me. And the Bible says if anyone's in Christ, in Christ, not I can see him from where I'm at, but I'm in Christ. I've surrendered my life. I've confessed my sin. If anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. Man, if there's anything our divided culture needs is a united church. And when they see us walking in grace and mercy, it sets some things in motion. They see the character of God. They see the kindness of God. True story. This is from the, the book, Miracle on the River Kwai. Scottish prisoners of war were in a Japanese uh, concentration camp and they were tasked with building a railroad and at each of the stops of their day of building they would count up all of the tools to make sure no tool was lost or stolen or you know hidden for 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 later and so the 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 Japanese guard who was leading this group of prisoners said all right just like we do every stop count up the the equipment and it was discovered that one one shovel was missing and this was the conditions in this, this prisoner of war camp were barbaric. It was inhumane. It was fighting. It was everyone, every man for themselves. And so when the, the, the guard says, listen, unless the person who stole the shovel steps forward, I'm going to shoot every one of you. The, the conditions were so brutal, they actually believed it. And while everyone's standing there, one gentleman steps forward. And he took responsibility for the lost shovel. Well, instead of being shot, he was beat to death by the guard with a shovel. So the point would be that much more obvious. Well, they gather up all of the, the tools. They go to the next location. They work for a chunk of hours. And at the end of that, it's again time to count up all of the tools, to take inventory of all of the equipment. And when they recounted, what they discovered was they had been off at the last count. And in fact, they weren't missing a shovel. And this guy had stepped forward to take responsibility for everyone else to guard and protect them. Not long after this story unfolded, the allies came in and they liberated this, these prisoners of war. And this was still when the lawlessness was so prevalent. And the question was amongst the soldiers who had been prisoners of war, are we going to kill all of the guards because of how brutal they were towards us? And there was a leaning towards, we should probably do that. And then they, as a man, said, no, this is not a time for vengeance or violence. It's a time for mercy. That one man's act of sacrifice set in motion it pushed over a domino of mercy that would impact not just these prisoners, but the men who had been so barbaric towards them. You know, in the gospel, what we see is this. One man stepped forward for the sins of humanity. And he did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. 
he extended grace. God gave us what we don't deserve, but he also extended mercy. He didn't give us what we did deserve. And that's what makes grace so amazing. That's what makes the gospel good news. I just want us to wrestle with two simple, put some feet to our faith questions as I close. First one is this. Have I, have you received God's unlimited mercy? The Bible says the wages of sin, what you and I earn for our sin is death. Our paycheck for our sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And whether you're watching online or you're in this gathering and you're saying, I, I don't know God, I know about God. I want to experience the grace and the mercy, the unlimited mercy of God for my soul. The Bible just lays it out beautifully. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive us. He does for us what we can't do for ourselves. And isn't it true sometimes we need outside help to experience an inward transformation? And that's what we have through the cross and the empty tomb. So before, before I close, I'm going to invite you to pray with me if you want to today surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Second question is this. Uh, are you a container or are you a conduit of mercy? What's your pattern? I got mercy. I got it. Ah, oh, it feels so good. I got grace. Someone was generous with, generous with me. But where's the lid? I, can't, I lost the lid. I want to cap it. Or are you saying, no, I want to be a conduit. The, the, the gospel is so good, I can't keep it to myself. I have got to share it with others. I've got to be someone who realizes my life is this beautiful invitation from God to show mercy to others. And that's the third question, is our bonus question today. Who will you show mercy to? You know, it could be someone from years ago. Like if, you're, if your heart and your life was like this apartment complex and every room was open, but you have this one room, this one room, you're like, that's locked and I've been holding this and I've been holding it since I was 14 or I remember that one time and I just can't, I want to. Pause that for a second and reflect on the grace and the mercy of God. And when you realize just how good God's been in your life, you'll go over and you'll open that door. Small keys open big doors. And maybe the mercy you've received, you'll be a conduit to others. Would you bow your heads with me as we just go before the Lord? God, first of all, we just pause to say, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your kindness. We know we don't deserve it. God, we know the the circumstances and the situations and the tendencies and the sin and the susceptibility that all of us have. And Lord, that in that mess, uh, you bring mercy. I just want to invite you if, you, if you're here or you're watching online, you say, I want to surrender my life to Christ today. By the way, God did this not because you're so good and not even because you're so bad, but because he's so good. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And if you want to cross, the Bible says, from death to life, from hopelessness to hopefulness, you want to be a follower of Jesus, you can invite him into your life by saying, praying, thinking these, these words. Jesus, I confess my need for you. 
I admit I'm a sinner. And today I choose to follow you. Today I invite you to do for me what I can't do for myself. Take away my sins and bring me from death to life. Jesus, you are Lord. And today I choose to follow you. And I pray this in your name. And Lord, I ask for the rest of us across this room and those watching online that that we would actually assess the question and, and answer the question, am I a container or am I a conduit of mercy? And Lord, if there's someone that you're saying, extend mercy to them, show them mercy, do for them what they can't do for themselves. God, would you give us the courage? Would you give us the resolve? Not just in this moment, but in that moment of conversation, in that moment of pathway to healing and hope, that we would have the supernatural empowerment of your spirit to follow through with what you're inviting us to do even now. God, may Multiply Church continue to be marked by your mercy. And we pray this in Jesus' name.